Morning, church. Good morning to all of those of you who are watching online today. How many of you um, got some rest over the holiday? How many of you uh, feel like you're burnt to a crisp right now and need some real downtime and rest? Uh, my uh, older daughter, Megan, I think she has like four or five Christmases in a row with extended family. And uh, I know that she is just about uh, worn out. But that's true with a lot of us. Uh, I read a USA Today article that said today people are souped up, stressed out, and overscheduled. That in this brave new world, boundaries between work and family are disappearing. That everybody is mobile and every moment of the day is scheduled with daycare and school and after-school activities and work 10 to 12 hours a day. Does that sound like your life sometimes? In fact, this pressure cooker lifestyle is becoming so common that anthropologists are now studying it to see how it will affect us long term. But you don't have to do a study to know that it's not good for us. That a frantic pace can affect our life in very negative ways. Dr. Kenneth Greenspan, director of the Center of Stress-Related Disorders at New York's Presbyterian Hospital, says that 50%, yes, half of all doctor visits are stress-related. I also read that the average uh, office worker gets 220 messages a day and emails and, and memos and, and phone calls and interruptions. It's no wonder that uh, one-third of managers suffer from ill health as a direct consequence of stress associated with information overload. A couple of weeks ago, I was reading my uh, free or fast company magazine, and, and uh, they were interviewing some famous people and, and how their daily schedules went. And, and one guy's name is Lee Child. He's a writer, and, and he was being interviewed, and he said that he gets up about 8 a.m. and then drinks about 30 cups of coffee uh, a day. <laughs> And when he retires for the night at about 3 a.m., he has to smoke a joint just so that he can relax and go to sleep. We're not created to live that way, are we? The more hurried we feel, the more stress. The more stress we have, the, the less we take care of ourselves. The less we take care of ourselves, the less joy we have. And the less joy we have, it affects our spiritual lives. And of course, now we're standing at the beginning of a new year, and what do we do? We make New Year's resolutions, don't we, to what? To do more. <laughs> so before you do that, I want to make a case for this coming year to do less. Uh, I'm re are, are you in for that? Does that sound good? Uh, open your Bibles to uh, Exodus uh, chapter 20. I'm going to read a couple verses uh, here, verses 8 through 11. Let's hear God's Word. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath 
to the Lord your God. And on it you shall do no work, neither you nor your son nor your daughter nor your male or female servant nor your animals nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens, the earth and the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Well, this is the fourth commandment. Uh, it was part of the Ten Commandments, so it was a pretty big deal. And in this, we are told to observe or to guard or to remember the Sabbath day, the seventh day, and to keep it holy. So God made it holy, but you and I, we have to make it holy. What does that mean? It means that it's to be different, that it's to be special, that it's to be unique. See, God made it that way, but you and I, we have to keep it that way. It's kind of like remembering your anniversary. You know, it's not enough to come home and say, oh yeah, I remember, it's our anniversary. That wouldn't be enough, would it? No. You have to have flowers and um, you have to do something special, maybe go away for the weekend or, or go out to dinner someplace uh, very unique and different. In the same way, you see, the Sabbath is to be treated with special care, with significance. Now, my guess is that with most of us, Sunday has little or no significance anymore. It certainly doesn't uh, to our culture. Uh, I remember growing up many years ago in my small town where they had the blue laws. And maybe some of you are old enough to remember that as well. Everything uptown was closed on Sundays except perhaps a, a couple of restaurants and, and maybe the grocery store. I mean, there was no sports. There were no school events. There was really not much to do except go to church and hang out with your family. Now, of course, in my small town, by 5 o'clock every day, things were, were closed except for bars and, uh, and pizza places. But today, it's a very different world. Uh, we are on the go 24-7. Nothing closes anymore, including us. Well, the word Sabbath literally means to cease, to stop, to desist. It's really about the non-use of time. And for some of us, that perhaps sends chills down your spine. The non-use of time. You see, the way we spend our time tells us where our real priorities lie. You may not know this, but time is not given to us in a limitless supply. We only have a certain amount of time in each day, and we only have a certain amount of time in our lives. And therefore, while the car that we cho uh, choose or, or, or the clothes that, that we buy say something about who we are as a person, the way we spend our time reveals our deepest and our strictest priorities because it's limited, and we know that. Our spent time cannot be bought back. And so the way we use our time speaks deeply of what we value. 
Well, this command, this scripture in, in Exodus 20 is of great interest because God is clearly telling us that he expects us to, to use time in such a way that he becomes our number one priority. God expects us to set aside one day in seven for rest. And it's a matter of great importance. In fact, uh, to not obey it uh, is a sin. And, and notice that the command was for everybody. It was for your children. It was for your servants. It was for uh, the foreigner uh, among you. It was even for your animals. And so we are not to work, but neither are we to make others work. Now, even before uh, God gave the Ten Commandments to Moses, he was trying to get this concept into their heads. You may remember as they were marching through the wilderness, as they were fleeing slavery in Egypt, that God provided manna on what? How many days? Six days. Because on the seventh day, there was no manna. They were to gather enough on Friday to lash them uh, through uh, the Saturday. It was a day of rest. There was to be no gathering. Keep the day holy uh, by stopping your work. But to make something holy in the biblical sense also means to dedicate it for something unique and special, for worship. So the Sabbath wasn't just a, a day to, uh, to rest, it was a day to worship. It was a, a day to replenish the soul. Uh, Leviticus calls it a holy convocation, meaning a time for God's people to gather as a community of faith. The Puritans called the Sabbath uh, the market day for the soul. On the other days of the week, you do ordinary business, but on this day, you do spiritual business. You renew the body and you renew the soul. So why? Why did God give this command? Well, for one reason, God, gave him, God himself took a Sabbath. In Genesis 2, it says, By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all of his work. Isn't that amazing? Uh, Moses' words here imply that if God stopped working on the seventh day, so should we. So I, I guess after creating the universe, God was like, Whew, man, that's a lot of work. I'm tired. I'm going to go take a nap. Well, not really. God doesn't really need to rest. Fortunately, he doesn't. We'd all be in big trouble. But he chose to rest as an example for us. You see, it would seem that God has built into the universe this, this rhythm of work and rest, work and rest. Whenever I train for, for marathons, all the training programs I've ever used have always emphasized the importance of, of taking one day off from running, one day to rest, one day to allow your body to catch up with, with your training. There's this pattern. And if we don't observe it, our lives go sour. But that's not all. There's another reason for the command to keep the Sabbath. And, and we see it in a passage from Deuteronomy. After giving them this commandment, Moses says to them, And you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out of there by a mighty hand and by an outstretched arm. You see, the reason that they were to observe the Sabbath here was that they had been slaves in Egypt. And for 400 years, Israel labored seven days a week, 24-7, without a day of rest, without a Sabbath. All they knew was work. And they were valued only for the number of bricks that they could produce. But slavery from, from 
Freedom from slavery brought them rest. And lest Israel do to their servants and to their animals what the Egyptians did to them, they are to keep the Sabbath. Israel was to show the same mercy to others that God had shown to them. And so there's kind of this humanitarian aspect to keeping the Sabbath. That is that people are are, are more than, than just machines. People are more than just what they can produce. People need a a Sabbath because we're people, not because we're machines. Now, there are some people who can make a a good case to say that the fourth commandment is is one of the commandments we're no longer obligated to keep. And they would be right. No place in the New Testament are we told to keep, to observe the Sabbath. And as we look at the New Testament, we see, first of all, that, that Jesus practiced keeping the Sabbath but with a whole different understanding of it. In Luke 4, we read that it was Jesus' custom to attend synagogue on the Sabbath. And so Jesus kept the the Sabbath practice. But he he had a very different understanding than than what had been taught for generations to his people. And we find it in Matthew 12, and Jesus and his disciples were on a a walk on the Sabbath day, and, and they passed through a grain field. And it was lunchtime, and they were hungry, and there was no McDonald's in sight. And so the Bible says they picked a, a few heads of grain, and they ate it raw. And the, and the religious leaders who saw this, they went ballistic. Why are you breaking the Sabbath? You're, you're harvesting. You're working. You shouldn't be doing that. And so Jesus appeals to history. He says, remember what David and his men did when they were hungry and there was no food. They went into the house of God and and they ate the consecrated bread, which only the priests were allowed to eat. And then he says these startling words. He says, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And so the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Now, if I had just gotten chewed out by the religious leaders, I would have taken a low profile until, the, until they'd cooled down. But not Jesus. He's going to drive this point home. And so right after that controversy, he goes right into their synagogue. Remember, it's still the Sabbath. And he heals a, a, a man with a withered hand. And again, they go ballistic. You're working on the, on the Sabbath. There are lots of days to heal people. Don't do it on the Sabbath. And so Jesus now appeals to their common sense. He says, come on, guys. If you have a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, aren't you going to take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a person than your livestock? And then he says, therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. You see, what had happened is so many rules and regulation had had been added to this commandment that its original God-given purpose had been horribly distorted. This God-given purpose was to give rest and spiritual refreshment. Instead, it just became more rules and more of a burden. I had a boyhood friend whose name was Ronnie. Uh, Ronnie's dad was the pastor of a, a very strict church in our town, and, and they had all sorts of, of rules and regulations about what you could and, and could not do on a Sunday. And, and one of the rules they had was that, that you could not swim on Sunday unless it was a church event, and then you could. And so Ronnie and I figured out a, a way around the rule. Uh, we would say a prayer 
before we went swimming. And that therefore qualified it as a church event. That's what happens when, when we turn religion into a bunch of rules. So as a principle, the Sabbath, the Sabbath still pertains to us. Now Jesus makes it clear that the principle of, of the Sabbath rest is fulfilled in him, but he also makes it clear that the principle of rest is still important in the Christian life. So how do we do it? How do we build this Sabbath into the rhythms of our busy life. Now I want to share with you how I do it. Not, not that I've arrived, not that my way is the best way. I think everybody's Sabbath is going to look a little bit different. We have to be very careful that we don't slide back into legalism. But for me, you know, it starts by choosing a day for me to stop and to rest. Now, since the resurrection, Christians have moved the Sabbath from, from Saturday as the Sabbath to Sunday as the Lord's Day. Uh, Saturday is my day off from work, but it's not really my Sabbath because I'm working in my yard or I'm mowing the grass or I'm doing some house projects. So a day off and a Sabbath are not the same thing. And so my Sunday is my Sabbath. Now, sure, I have a lot of things to do on Sunday mornings, but it's when I get to worship with my church family. And so for me, my Sabbath is about worship. It's a day I worship. It's a day that I enter into the presence of God. And the rest of the day is that day of rest. And for me, that might include reading, walking, being with my family, watching a football game, or, or, or enjoying God's creation outside. And a lot of times I find uh, that on Sunday afternoon, I'm, I, I'm, I'm napping <laughs> See, here, here's why. I, I didn't always understand that, but what I find is that when you begin to disconnect from our busyness and you begin to relax, you fall asleep. And I find that it's our body's way of catching us up from all the days in the past week that we've deprived it of its rest. It's a day to catch our breath. It's a day to not go to work. And so if you're a stay-at-home mom or a stay-at-home dad, it's a day for you to have a break from the grind of cooking and, and cleaning and getting things done. If, if your work as a student, it's a day for you to stop studying and to stop writing papers. Whatever is your work, stop it once a week and rest. Instead of working do, do things that refuel your body, your mind, your relationships, and your soul. You see, we need to build patterns of, of rest and, and productivity into our week. Uh, for me, it's getting up at a certain time that allows me to have, have time to, to read God's Word and, and to pray. And then to get to work on time. I try to keep the number of evening meetings to one or two a week so that I, I don't neglect my family. I always try to build in time for exercise. That's important for me. And to do these things, guess what? I have to set up boundaries. I have to have boundaries in my life. I can't say yes to everything. And one boundary that I set up several years ago was that 55 hours of work was my limit. <laughs> Except Christmas. And Easter which gets a little crazy around here. 
but normally 55 hours is my work week, whether I get it all done or not. And so that work doesn't follow me home, I, I have to disconnect electronically. It used to be easy to disconnect from work. Now we have these smartphones and emails and text messaging and, and on and on. So, so I had to set boundaries there. I have to lay my, my phone away. And it's easy to carry work home in my heart as well. I mean, pastoral work requires you to enter into other people's lives, and, and leaving that at the office is not easy. But here's how I found help. It came in realizing that I'm not God. And that's a wonderful thing to understand, that I can't solve everybody's problems. In fact, that God will take care of me, and God will take care of you, and, and God will take care of us. God will take care of my work. Even if I don't get everything done, it's okay. But see, the truth is that church work, probably like your work, is never done. There's always something more to do, amen? Whether it's mow the yard or clean the house or, or get something done with work, there's always something more. But look at Jesus' life. You never see him running. You never see him in a hurry. You, you, never say to, you never hear Jesus saying to somebody, I'm sorry, I don't have time. I'll schedule you in next week. He never says that. In fact, he does something quite radical, and we find it in, in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 11. He says these words. He gives us an invitation. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find, what? Rest for your souls. Soul rest. How many of you here today could use some soul rest? You know, in the Bible, people came to Jesus for various things. They came for answers. They came for healing. They came for forgiveness. Some came for salvation. But Jesus says, are you weary? Are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you stressed? Come to me, and I will give you rest for your souls. <coughs> now, this is so much more than physical rest. I mean, let's face it. A lot of us were overloaded in our minds we're overloaded in our spirit. We're overloaded in our emotions. We, we need release from our worry, from our tension, from our fears, from our guilt, from our bitterness. And Jesus is inviting us to put our burdens into his hands. What do you turn to? How do you find that soul rest? Sometimes we turn to food. Sometimes I, I turn to television, I admit it. Sometimes we turn to drink. Sometimes we... We try to medicate ourselves. Sometimes we try time management. Some of us actually try to do more things in an attempt to find rest. But most of us turn to, to some form of escape. And while it may help for a while, it is not a long-term solution. And so Jesus invites us to try him. The answer to our overload is a person. Jesus says it's not a matter of doing more. It's a matter of coming. It's a matter of coming to him. And some of us have been resisting that. Some of, them, of us have been keeping Jesus with an outstretched arm. We've been trying to do it our way. Maybe it's time that we do it on Jesus' terms. Now, a lot of you will walk away this morning and you'll be thinking, you know, Pastor, that sounds really nice. But I could never do that. You don't understand my life. My life requires that I work 24-7. I can't help it. 
Well, hear me. Working nonstop is a form of self-dependence. It's a way of making yourself God. It's a, it's a lack of trust in God to provide for what we need. We don't need to work seven days a week. It's counterproductive. We are not wired that way. In fact, studies have shown that once you get to a certain number of hours per week, that it actually becomes counterproductive, that it actually works against us. Oh, yeah, work's a gift from God. I'm so happy that I have a job. But frequently it keeps us from living, from having a life. Have you allowed your, your work, have you allowed your job to so consume your life that you have no time for what's important anymore? No time for God, no time for family, no time for relationships, no time for self. We need to ask ourselves today, am I giving to my job that which I ought to give only to God? Am I letting my relationship with God fade while I fill that spot with just more things? I want to encourage you to slow down just long enough for God to say to you, I want a relationship with you. I want to know you. You are mine. You are my child. Uh, I, I want you to, to, to know that I love you, not based upon what you do, not based upon your activities, but based upon who you are. Slow down long enough to hear God say, you matter to me. And in that, discover that life is not just in your work, not just in your busyness, but it's a part of your call from God. It's one way of living your life in Christ. So do you have any room for rest? Don't worship your work. Worship God. Trust Him for everything else. In chapter 4 of the book of Hebrews, it talks about the rest that God has promised to all his people. And he goes all the way back to, to the book of Exodus to make his point of how some Israelites could not enter in, into the rest of the promised land because of their lack of faith, their unbelief. Don't let that happen to you, the writer of Hebrews warns. God offers us a place of rest where we cease from our labors as God did from his God offers us a Sabbath rest. Not just a physical rest, but a spiritual rest. No longer do we need to strive to, to get God to love and to accept us. God, Christ's death on the cross has freed us, has set us free from trying to earn God's favor. We can now find rest in His righteousness. So this New Year's Eve, go ahead. Make your resolution. But instead of looking to do more, what if you chose to do a resolution, to make a resolution, to do one thing less? How might it change your family? How might it change your relationships? How might it change your faith life? Imagine how much different our lives could be when we find that place of rest and trust in God. Let's pray. Oh God, you have promised us a rest, but we seek to fill it with activity. We get our lives so busy that we have no time really to think about you or even about others. 
We think that we can earn our, our own salvation, that somehow if we just do something more, that life will be perfect. Help us, God, to remember that it's found only in a relationship with you. God, this new year, as we begin 2019, give us the courage to do one thing less. And we will give you the thanks and praise in Jesus' name. Amen.